from Radio Milwaukee and the Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project, this is Be Seen. I'm Nate Immig. On this episode... Hi, it's me, Trix and Mattel. I'm outside my bar. This is it in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I think we should go make some drinks. Come on. In 2021, drag superstar and Wisconsin native Trixie Mattel bought a bar. She became co-owner of This Is It. It's Wisconsin's longest-running gay bar. Once Trixie was on board, it wasn't long before she was behind the bar herself to learn how to make a classic cocktail, the Manhattan, for her YouTube fans. Getting comfortable. Don't need this. This is a uh, this is a Manhattan. I've never had this. I feel like it's a very fancy old people drink and it makes sense. This is a very historic bar. Oldest gay bar in Wisconsin, you're welcome. I bet that people were drinking this when the bar opened. Should we try it? Trixie is right, the bar is historic. It opened in 1968 and has been running continually since in the same building on Wells Street in Cathedral Square in downtown Milwaukee. For most of its life, this place was a classic cocktail lounge almost stuck in time. The lighting was dim, the music was quiet, the conversations were low. But over the last 50 odd years, as you would expect, this place has changed continuously too. For the first time, there's a stage inside an adjacent space the business expanded into in 2019. They added a dance floor too, plus an additional bar. I visited on a busy Friday night. There was a drag show just about to start and I chatted with a few customers. I started coming here sometime in the mid-2000s. Um, I think it was actually before George owned it. And then I moved away for a couple of years, and I heard that they had bought the other side and started the show bar. And so now that I've moved back, I'm excited to see you know all the renovations. And, and it's good to see this place still going, as so many of the older establishments have since gone. Um, from C'est La Vie, 219, the M&M Club, Mona's. Um, I'm trying to think of it. <laughs> some of the other ones, but there's been quite a few that I've gone under, so it's nice to see that there are still some of the old bastions still around. This is honestly like my first five, like first year being like a regular here, but I really enjoy it. It's much more relaxed than I think like when I would typically think of like going out and going out to a bar and like there being a dance scene. So like I like it for that sense because it's very much just like the kind of place where you like you sit around a table and you talk to your friends and you get drinks and it's not like overwhelming. Like there are a lot of bars around here where are very overwhelming and it's much more of a dance scene than it is a hangout scene. Nice, chill, safe space. It's a good time. The lights are low, the drinks are being poured and I think um, it's a party. That's general manager Darnell Watson. On top of all the normal day-to-day bar stuff that Darnell manages, he also oversees the bar's show calendar. We have about, I would say, 16 different shows a month. So you never know what you're going to get. We get everything from uh, live singing, from um, shows that represent you know, people of color, shows that represent... Um, comedy and like my show is House of Strange and it's just a weird show. Nowadays, we don't even call ourselves a gay bar. We're more like a queer establishment because a lot of our clientele comes from the downtown area. You get a lot of, you know, um, straight women and men and uh, you get a little bit of everything. So we're more like a queer, safe space, queer establishment rather than a gay bar nowadays because our, our um, clientele is extremely vast, extremely wide. The, the old business model of, you know, let's put up a, a rainbow flag and cater to mostly, you know, white gay males does not work anymore. This is co-owner George Schneider. He began working at the bar in 2010 and became an owner in 2016. For six years, he worked alongside Joe Brame, son of the original owner, June Brame. 
As a bartender, he became part of the This Is It family and took the business over after Joe passed away from ALS. We'll learn more about Joe and his mom, June, in a bit. But first, we've got a lot of questions. B-Scene co-host Michael Takash and I sit down with George and we get right into it because there's a lot of folklore out there about This Is It, as we're finding out. So how did it get that name in the first place? Was, was there really no sign on the door? Let's get into it. How did it get that name? How did it get This Is It? How did that bar get started? And who were the original owners? Well, um, there are many alternate stories that are out there. <laughs> a few different um, versions. Huh? Yeah, as far as the name goes. I know the, the going story and what June, who founded the bar, um, like to tell everybody is that, you know, after a couple of, let's say, not so successful runs at other venues, um, she kind of put her hands in the air and said, this is it. Um, in a sense, maybe that, uh, you know, if this doesn't work, if this doesn't fly, um, this is my last little hurrah. But that's kind of the, the standard, at least that's what she would tell everyone. Um, as far as, you know, what is the level of truth? What is uh, the level of mystique that she wanted to add, you know, to the origins of the name? I don't know, but I kind of like that story. Wish so. I could have met her. She sounds like an amazing Very character. interesting character. Did you ever interview her? Did you ever meet her, Michael? Or I she... did. I met her in, two, well, I had known of her, but I formerly met her in 2008 and interviewed her very early in the morning. I mean, I think it was before sunrise um, in that little office, and it was just interesting because every now and then she would just forget that I was there and go back to what she was doing and then she'd come back and say, now what do you want this for? You know, what, what do you want to know? Was she counting out quarters while you did it for the cigarette machine? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, she was just very, very committed to her routine. The first question mm -hmm. she had was, what do you need to know all this for? And the second is, who is this for anyway? So there was a real skepticism to revealing, you know, the truth and Perhaps the truth was slightly romanticized to, uh, <laughs> to sound better. But um, this is a very common thing, really, when dealing with LGBTQ history. There's a silent generation. The pre-Stonewall generation really just doesn't want to give up its secrets very easily, which does not make things easy for those of us in a more open and um, perhaps transparent world, much less easier for historians trying to document it. What are some of your favorite stories that you've heard about June over the years? How far do you want me to go back? All the way back. Um, my favorite story is a story about her um, friendship with Les Paul. Wow, okay. Um, so again, you know, June was born and raised in Waukesha. So was her son and my late business partner, Joe. They were both from the Waukesha area. And her and Les were very close. You know, same circles, similar age. And... Um, there's an interesting story where he was in town to visit with his wife. Uh, gosh, I'm not going to remember. I think her first name was Mary. I got a little wife. She's a joy of my life. There's no place like home. I got a little house that I call my own. There's no place like home. But they were in town to visit, and they were planning on driving back to California from Waukesha. And um, their car wouldn't start. So June was kind of this, you know, spitfire, like, oh, I'll come and I'll, I'll get your car started for you. And she did, you know, sent them on their way, you know, wish them good luck. It just so happens that during that trip, I think somewhere near Colorado, um, they got into a major accident. And I know um, Les Paul's wife was uh, seriously injured and uh, Les Paul himself had injury to his arm and specifically his elbow. So he had to get his arm um, set basically in one place 
And the story goes, and he even, you know, would tell the story like, yeah, after my accident, they said, where do you want us to set your arm? And he brought in his guitar and he said, set it like this so he could play. And June, for years, held it um, that she was responsible for this because she thought, oh, if I didn't get his car started, if I would have waited a little bit, maybe the timing would have been off. So to cap this off, for his 90th birthday, he was back in the area and did a concert and she ends up going up on stage to, you know, say hi. And they had this long, hour-long conversation. And she finally, you know, revealed to him, I've been, I've been feeling so guilty all these years. And I guess he was just like, June, you're crazy for thinking that. He says, this has made it so much easier to play. But she held that for so long. Um, so I guess it, it speaks to how she really had an empathic connection to the people in her lives and how she, much like her son Joe, had this memory and she would hold on to the things that were important. But it's also kind of funny, too, that, that she thought, oh, I'm responsible for this when, when clearly, you know, you know, fate is fate. You know, it, was, it happened. But that's one of my favorite stories about her and her connection with Les Paul. One of my favorite stories that Joe told me when I was doing the research in 2008 was how June would wake up every morning, come to the bar, like at the crack of dawn, and do all the banking and all the books and then proceed to call everyone who bounced checks. And this was at a time when you could write checks at bars to pay your bar tab or maybe to get cash um, in a time before ATMs or in a time before Venmo. Um, but the funny thing was that she would call them and scold them and he would hear her talking on the phone and it would almost sound like she was talking to a member of her family because she was so motherly and, and yet so stern and so strict. And so what do these conversations sound like? Like, and so what are you thinking? Uh, yeah, yeah. So she she would be very commanding, but yet very motherly at the same time. So people, <laughs> she would get off the phone and she would say to Joe, "Well, I made another man cry today." <laughs> there's there's a lot of stories with with June like that. Uh, even just the the image. I never had the pleasure of seeing her ten bar, but the the image that everyone paints is this. You know crass, you know, mouth like a sailor behind the bar in tight leather pants. I always hear that. Uh, even even when she was into her golden years, when she was still lingering behind the bar, I guess she would wear the same outfit, the same look. And yeah, I mean, much like much like her son, she would remember everyone's name, their drink, even if it was a decade since you last stopped in, uh, June would June would recognize you. She'd remember you. Well, for years, uh, This Is It did not have a sign. I remember when I was first uh, coming into the community and going out, I remember, uh, look for the bar with no sign, and that's how you know you're in the right spot. Um, what was the deal with that? Why so much secrecy? You know, people entered through the, the back alley for years. Um, did you ever hear any stories about about that secrecy? And the- well, it did. Okay, so th- this is a multi-part answer <laughs> for okay. you. It did actually have lettering on – right now, if you look at the front of the building, there's a, a facade that has like these rainbow diamonds on it. And uh, for the first maybe year that the bar was open um, and maybe even longer because uh, – it well, it had lettering on the front that said this is it. And the reason why I say longer is Joe – explained to me at one point in time that uh, because this is it, you can get kind of creative with those uh, letters up there. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, he had complained, uh, you know, kind of curmudgeonly like, oh, yeah, those MSOE students kept on switching the letters. So there was some kind of sign out there in the early days. 
But then I also have to think MSOE hasn't been around for that long. But um, so there was. And then for a brief period, they had um, Ondecker, which I don't know if they even make that anymore. But they had an Ondecker like neon sign, kind of like you you see the, the PAP signs that are still lingering out there. That just said very small lettering. This is it. So there have been signs, but you're absolutely right. For the majority of probably the 90s and, uh, you know, 2000s into the 2010s, no sign whatsoever. And the the history was that, well, the, the lore was that uh, there was no sign because of discretion. And that's why people use the, the back door, the alleyway entrance. And that's true. You know, a lot of people did not want to be seen, you know, walking in the front door. They didn't want questions. Some people wouldn't even park in front of these addresses because the police force would, you know, write down license plates and, uh, oh, well, this person's parked around this place too much. So eh, there's a lot of things that go into it. When, when you share those stories now, it almost sounds like hiding or fear. But, you know, the reality is that this was the consequences were really high for people that could be outed. They could lose their job. They could uh, face consequences at home. This was survival. Yeah. In fact, there's. There's a really good piece. I, I want to say it's uh, WTMJ, uh, Channel 4 here, um, pulled from their archives, a story they did. Most homosexual men and women completely ignore the straight world after work. They need an active social life, and they usually find it in Milwaukee. This is audio from that five-part series by reporter Jim Cummins. It ran on WTMJ, Channel 4, in September of 1973 in Milwaukee. Gay bars are thriving in this city because more than 15,000 homosexual men and women are forced to meet after work hours and away from their families. A bar is the most convenient place to meet. This clip is from the Archives Department at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee Libraries. Many people are afraid to be known as a complete person with a a background, friends, associations. Uh, Instead, they feel very closed in, tight, afraid. Um, They put up a mask. Gay men often rely on the cover of darkness to hide their second life from a good job, wife, and kids. People in my generation and, and younger, it's really, I think, important to take a look at that because it puts real, like, human faces on it. The community relations specialist for the Police and Fire Commission offers this official opinion. We're just not ready to see two men kissing and palavering in a restaurant, as a man might very well do with his girlfriend or his wife, or with some girl he never saw before, so far as that goes. The state of Wisconsin has laws against the kind of behavior Bowen described. Laws against lewd and lascivious behavior between... You can watch all five parts on their website. We'll put a link in the show notes. These are real, you know, live interviews with people talking about the impact. Um, and I, I guess the, the, the troubles, the, the hurdles that they had to, you know, go over in order to just be themselves. But absolutely, there were, there were real consequences if, uh, if you were caught I, that sounds so weird to say that but if you, yeah. if you were caught going to one of these uh, you know queer identified establishments George was fortunate to learn from Joe to work right alongside him as he was gearing up to own the business it helped to understand Joe's experience as an ally during that time providing a place for the community to exist in peace he taught me how to deal with change and how to present change in a way that's very palatable and I really in a way treasure that I have a lot of, uh, you know, mentors who have, you know, shown me the way, so to speak. And um, there are things like that, I think, from Joe that that translate more, 
I guess, onto my heart than anything else, but also in a very practical business sense. So Joe is is alive and well um, in in those aspects, not just the physical aspects of the bar, but uh, you know, for teaching me everything that he was able to teach me, and also just just the interaction that he had with with customers. It's Joe's been passed now for six years almost, and um, I don't know. I, I think about him every day, and I know our customers do because he was just one of those people. And just to clarify, Joe was straight, right? Yep. Now, all these years later, the bar certainly is a lot different, but original patrons would probably still recognize it today. The basic footprint is pretty much the same, except for the expansion into the adjacent space. The carpet on the floor is gone, but the carpet on the wall remains. And as Darnell, the manager, said, there are a lot of shows. Staying relevant is the key. After the break, George shares more about his vision for keeping This Is It relevant. And not just his business, but the gay bar itself. Where does the queer bar fit into our society these days? And while we're talking about queer spaces, George shares his favorite gay bar in the whole country. Next on Be Seen. Support for 88.9 Radio Milwaukee comes from your membership and Alverno College, which offers a range of professional development opportunities for women and men, from certificates to graduate degrees. More information at alverno.edu slash adult learning. What do you think has been keeping people coming back? Why, you know, why do you think people return to this now for you know, uh, nearly 55 years? Throughout the history, there's been different reasons. I have to say that I think the tone was set by June when she first opened it, uh, her the impetus, I guess, for her to do it was she wanted a safe place for her her gay friends. Um, and at that time, I guess we can, uh, you know, say it was largely gay male friends that she catered to. And she wanted a, a safe space where quality um, service, um, clean, um, and she wanted it to be a mixed crowd as well, where everyone felt welcome. So setting that tone where it's a place of acceptance and a place where, you know, we don't care if you're gay, straight, male, female, however you identify, you can come in. So I think that's uh, that at its core, uh, that is the core. That is exactly what Betsy from The Pint said, is that it's an inclusive environment where all are welcome. And that's why they've been able to go. I mean, not nearly as long as this is it, but in their modern chapter, I mean, uh, certainly long running. You will find what we have, uh, I think, seven queer, like fully queer identified bars here, eight actually, I think it's eight. And um, you will find that that is the hallmark of success for a lot of these establishments is stripping away the the personal gains, the profit and everything else that goes into the business side and making sure that the focus is never lost on inclusivity and uh, and creating a safe environment as well. So I, I think that is that is the the hallmark of success. There are there are other things that have helped this is it survive so long. I know in the '90s and early 2000s, the fact that nothing had changed in there um, really did help the bar um, get a new fresh breath of air. That old school feel, George says, actually helped the bar. It was even a little ahead of the Mad Men craze with the mid-century nostalgia. Summer journeys to Niagara and to other places aggravate all our cares. But the younger crowd really loved the retro look. I I would even say 
we'll push that further back, like late 90s, early 2000s. That's when the retro, you know, car, like I said, carpet on the walls, wood paneling, going into grandpa's basement type feel. Um, so that really helped um, push things through when a lot of the gay bars started closing. But you can only ride nostalgia so long. And by the 2010s, customers were looking for even more. In a word, drag. Drag has really, um, you know, perpetuated and really increased the the business that we do. Um, and that's, I, I don't want to say we're riding a wave, but that is in, a, in many ways the wave that we're riding right now. And it is all about relevance. And drag is very relevant right now. You mentioned it. Uh, this is it was kind of known as a older gentleman's bar, I would you say. You mean this was it? Or um, <laughs> is that what it was the called? wrinkle room? <laughs> but but nowadays, I mean, you're hosting these 18 plus nights, doing all these drag shows. This transformation really has been remarkable and the expansion too into the adjacent building. And I think it's bringing all generations back. Absolutely. And uh, I should have touched on that as well um, as as another uh, tenant, I guess, of, of success is um, – the multi-generational um, experience that you get in there, um, even even before my time when I was uh, when I was just a, a regular customer there, it was one of the few places I could go and sit down um, and have Barney Brum next to me, a 94 year old man, um, have myself you know in the middle, and then talking to somebody my parents' age you know um, on my left. Um, it's one of the few places where you can get that experience, um, and we have you know kind of perpetuated that and furthered that. But there's a huge, there's a huge uh, racial, uh, transgender. Basically, if, if, if it's part of the spectrum of our community, there's been a huge lack of respect for anyone who is not cis, white, gay, male. <laughs> and about six, seven years ago, when I first um, really started to take the reins fully from Joe, that became our, our goal, is to further that inclusion. The old business model of, you know, let's put up a, a rainbow flag and cater to mostly, you know, white gay males does not work anymore. And I know, um, and I'm maybe going a little tangent here, in the, in the early 2000s, there was this uh, looming, you know, this, this impending doom of social media. It's going to kill the gay bars, the dating apps. Well, in a way, it did kind of take away from it, but the... The uh, radix malorum, the, the root of evil here was the fact that nobody was willing to change their, their business model. So they were, they were stuck in a rut of, you know, this is how we did it in 1997 and we're not changing. And the lack of embracing change and the lack of embracing the entire community and, you know, everything that we represent, I think is what um, – did cause a lot of uh, bars to, to close. That that inability or the unwillingness to make change. Accepting and making change is difficult, right? Change is hard. So George says making all these changes, it required time and effort and money and most of all, thick skin. I'll tell you, we get pushback anytime we change anything. We try, we strive to keep as much of the original feel and look of the bar but we also recognize that, you know, certain things did work in 1971. They're just not going to work in, you know, 2022. So it's finding that balance between, you know, preserving the history, you know, and incorporating the new. And where's that middle ground where, you know, 
yeah, there's still carpet on that wall over there, but well, yes, we take credit cards now yeah, yeah, on, <laughs> on a rudimentary level, but yes. you know, so it is trying to find a balance with all of that. One way This Is It is changing and bringing new communities in is through MKE Vogue Nights. If you've seen Pose or the film Paris is Burning, you know exactly what we're talking about. Ball culture. It's distinctly black and trans. And until recently, there wasn't a regular place to see it in Milwaukee or Wisconsin. And uh, it's pretty incredible because there hasn't been a lot of queer bars that allow that kind of uh, outlet um, or there hasn't been an opportunity for them to have that outlet in a in a queer space. And um, it's something that that we don't produce. Um, R- Ricardo Harris um, and his uh, Vogue, I guess you want to call it mastermind crew, they, they approached us and we said, absolutely. You know, this is in line with that that whole goal of being more inclusive. It's an element of our queer community and entertainment scene, um, cultural scene. So we're like, yes, let's run with it. And uh, yeah, they put on a a pretty wild and fun night uh, every month. I want to just talk about the importance of a place like a gay bar today in 2022. Um, You know, we've seen in 2008, uh, like half of the gay bars in America closed And, of course, we've seen other ways for people to connect outside the bar scene emerge. But yet there is still that community when you go in, even if you don't drink. And and I think that's uh, something that it doesn't have to be something that keeps you from going. Like if you you can still go and and be the DD or have a seltzer or something Mm -hmm. and watch a drag show. But just if you could speak to kind of the importance of the, the modern gay bar here in 2022 and why places like This Is It are still important to the community. Somebody told me once that um, gay bars or bars in general are kind of like cash. You know, as long as there's uh, transactions that require, you know, I guess in cash, some kind of anonymity, cash will never go away. And in much of the same sense that, you know, we have all these other options that you've touched on in terms of meeting people out there, there's nothing that really can replace that, you know, in-person, a tactile experience, you know, that immersive, you can never beat it. But if you can present it in a relevant way to the younger generations, social media doesn't matter. We, um, and you touched on this before, we have an 18 plus license. We were the first, uh, well, the first bar, I think, in the city limits other than theaters to have this uh, 18 plus license um, in probably 30 plus years. The reason why we did it is because we recognize the fact that people are hungry for that experience. So we, uh, our Wednesday nights is when we host our 18 plus nights. It's jam packed with, uh, you know, that, well, there are the under 21, 18 to 21, but I would say that 18 to 24, it's just jam packed. It's because they want that, that venue, that immersive experience, you know, that I'm there, I'm present. And, you know, face to face interaction is as much as it's not on vogue anymore, it's it's still very, very relevant. I, I think that that is what keeps us relevant or helps us stay relevant is that we are reaching out to the generations that have been totally, their lives have been fostered in a sense around social media. I think focusing on that and targeting a lot of our business to that, um, everything else kind of falls into place. 
You know, I got to say that whenever I talk to people a generation above me, I feel like they have a little bit better game than than my generation and younger does. Because oh, how so? I just feel like that it is kind of a lost art to be able to go out to the bar, meet new people, socialize, you know, strike up a conversation with a stranger. And I feel like so, like uh, some of the apps and some of the, you know, like hookup apps and stuff are kind of taking that away from culture a little bit where you can go out and, and, and meet somebody new and you see them face to face and you your your knees touch at the bar and you have a little chemistry there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's that's a whole other podcast. If we want to <laughs> we want to get into uh, social media and how it uh, affects, uh, you know, interpersonal relations or or how uh, it affects relationships when you know there's always another option out there. You know, you don't have to work for it. You can just, like you said, swipe swipe in one direction and you're done. I And, and there is truth to that, though. But that's, that's going uh, back to that multi-generational where, yeah, we've changed things. We've lost some of the older crowd for sure. You know, some people just, nope, I want to go to my very male-identified environment and I don't want females around me. There's always some of that. But we still have, you know, that that older generation, and it is. It's it's like a, a teaching moment, and I don't like saying these kids. But when the the younger patrons come in, especially on those eighteen plus nights, they are interacting with the older crowd, um, and it's not like creepy, like you know, predatory or anything like that, which we have zero tolerance for, by the way. Um, it's a genuine interest, I think. On their part, the younger crowd part, I want to talk to this person who paved the way for me. I want to know about the history of this bar. So you're a gay bar owner. Do you have a favorite gay bar in the country? And if so, what do you love about it? Well, um, I would have to say um, it's Club One in Savannah, Georgia. What makes that spot so special? Well... It's the it's the people, and I have to give credit to uh, a certain bartender named Don Dupree. And uh, I guess this really answers your question. You know what what makes it so special? I just I walked in there. You know, nobody knowing me from Adam. You know, walking into this place in Savannah, go down to this dingy basement bar, and there's Don Dupree down there, and just instantaneous like engagement. And she made that first experience so memorable that it became my haunt whenever I'm down there. And, you know, I've since, you know, made connections in much of the same way that I talk about the the tone being sent about having bartenders that will talk to you, that feeling of being part of a family from the minute you walk in the door. I think that's why I love it so much. I, of course, love my own establishment, but it's one of the few places that I've been to where I feel I get that same this is it feel. So maybe maybe that's how I maybe that's how I judge other bars. Like do I feel at home like I feel at this is it? Club 1 in Savannah, Georgia is very much so one of those places. Well said. I will definitely check it out if I ever get to Savannah. Yeah. Our thanks to George Schneider, co-owner of This Is It, Wisconsin's longest continually operating queer bar. One thing that we didn't get into in this episode is an often repeated rumor that Milwaukee's gay bars of This Is It's era of the kind of 50s, 60s, and 70s, that many of them were supposedly connected to organized crime, that they were either run by the mafia or the owners were paying for protection. Michael and I looked into this claim and gathered an expert in local history. We'll share that with you down the line as a bonus episode. But to close out season one of Be Seen, 
we're talking with two pioneering leaders who are at the front lines of Milwaukee's response to HIV and AIDS. America was terrified of this new disease, how it was spread, where it came from. It was all a total mystery. And even those in the medical field were hesitant to even touch AIDS patients. While all that was going on, these two instead comforted them, literally embracing them in their final days. Susan Dietz, the original co-founder of AIDS Resource Center of Wisconsin, and Mark Behar, the co-founder of Milwaukee's first LGBTQ clinic, they join us for a poignant conversation about that generation we lost. Then Michael and I talk with the organizers of MKE Vogue Nights, which we learned about earlier in this episode. They share how they're getting new prevention treatments like PrEP into the hands of those most at risk, including at their shows at This Is It. Thank you for listening to episode five of Be Seen and take a moment to rate and review the show as well. We'd love to hear your feedback too. I'm Nate Imig alongside Michael Takash. Be sure to finish out season one with us next time on Be Seen. Be Seen is hosted by me, Nate Imig, and Michael Takash. Our producer and audio engineer is Kenny Perez with additional support from Salam Fatayer. Marketing on 88.9 is led by Sarah Lahr. Our logo and branding by Aaron Bagata, Social media by Dan Reiner. And community engagement by Maddie Reardon. Dory Zori is 88.9's program director. And Danae Davis is 88.9's interim executive director. Thanks most of all to our members for making this and all content on Radio Milwaukee possible. This is Be Seen from Radio Milwaukee and the Wisconsin LGBTQ History Project. <laughs>